From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. Would you be surprised if I told you President Biden is lying about gun laws? Probably not, because he is, and he told some real whoppers recently. Then there's Rahm Emanuel, who has made some uninformed suggestions for gun control. Some Ohio mayors are pushing so-called smart guns. We also have the latest on that proposed ATF rule that could upend the firearms industry. And last, we'll talk about the U.S. Supreme Court's decision to finally hear a Second Amendment case. And we'll talk about all of that on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by Rob Sexton, BFA's Legislative Affairs Director. Hi, Rob. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Dean. Glad to be here. Well, there's an awful lot going on right now. And uh, just sort of a hodgepodge of of just weird stuff out there in the news. And some of it's pretty disturbing. One of the things that happened recently, you know, Biden's out there. He was talking about this H.R. 8, which would, it's a federal bill that would criminalize the private transfer of firearms. So you're not going through a dealer. It's just like, I have a gun, you want it, and I sell it to you. and, And that's perfectly legal. But he was making comments and he was talking about gun shows. And saying, you know, that uh, normally guns go through a background check. If you walk into a gun store, you know, that, that's that's one thing. But you walk into a gun show and that's something else. There's no background check. You can buy anything you want. There's no background check at all. And that's, that's just a lie. Rob, as you know, federal law requires that all firearms dealers, they have to be licensed. They have to run a criminal background check through the NICS system, the National Instant Criminal Background Check System before any transfers. And you know the penalties for not doing this are, are pretty steep. You know, we're talking five years in prison, quarter million dollar fine. And you just, I, I know that there's some people out there who break the rules, but gun shows, this is just not where criminals go for guns. You know, what's really scary about this type of issue, you know, I don't think the president has a clue on the actual facts of the matter, but you get a slogan in his mind, and he's going to keep repeating that over and over and over again, regardless of whether it's factual. You know, it's easier to buy a gun than it is to buy a pair of Air Jordan tennis shoes or something like that, right? And and, and of course, it's not easy to buy a firearm. The background check, any of us that have gone through it, you know, you're standing at the counter in a gun store for two hours to get your paperwork all processed and out the door. They'd have you believe you go into a gun store and gosh, you could, you know, you could buy an M16 with a grenade launcher in four minutes. And 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 I meet people every day who buy into that nonsense. So, you know, he on the one hand, the president is like a, the, the crazy uncle who says anything. But on the other hand, he's got the bully pulpit to perpetuate that nonsense, and it's very dangerous. You know, but he was one of these guys, I sort of like. Hillary Clinton, I think, who just wanted to be president just to be president, mm-hmm. right? It was just it was just time. He just thought it was his time. The Democrats did not have anybody else to run. They just 
didn't want Trump in there anymore. So what the heck? Run him. You know, right. it, it's just like it didn't matter. And those those are really the dangerous moments when somebody just doesn't care and they get in there and just to occupy the office. And 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 we know that gun shows and we've known this for a long time. That's not where criminals are getting guns. You know, the, the, there's the uh, Congressional Research Service in 2019. They came out with a report that basically said private firearm sales at gun shows are not a significant source of guns for federal and state prisoners convicted of crimes that involve firearms. That That is not where they're getting them. And, and the ATF knows this, too, because— they put out a report. Now, this was a while back in 1999, but there, there have probably been other reports. They found that half to three quarters of sellers at gun shows are, in fact, licensed. Right. So, so most and of them. I, and I don't think a lot of people know that. When they think gun show loophole, they, they picture, you know, a building full of folks doing casual sales and nothing but. Most of your most of your vendors at the gun shows are are, are attached to FFL holders, gun stores, and the like. I don't know if you caught this in the news a couple of days ago, but this is how terrifying the Biden administration is. So the president's given a press conference and he says he needs to quit taking questions so he doesn't get into trouble. And his his uh, press secretary is asked by the media, why would he get in trouble when he's the president? And, and she literally confessed that, you know, they, they don't like him taking questions because he gets off message. He gets off point. So the commander in chief sometimes doesn't adhere to their script. So they'd rather keep it shielded so he doesn't, you know, blurt out something ad hoc or that's off their script. So they'll, they're going to trot him out there to say something like, oh, it's easier to buy, you know, a, a, a firearm than it is to acquire, you know, a, a pack of chewing gum. And then as long as he shuts up after that, he's checked off the box for the lunatic fringe of the anti-gun movement. And that's really all he is. Biden, he serves as their figurehead, you know, to uh, to blurt out the nonsense stats that he he couldn't possibly articulate if he were pressed to do so. Yeah. And I, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but I remember when Trump was president, the um, press corps was complaining about, you know, they can't get access. The, uh, the Trump won't do press conferences, which really was really bizarre because I don't think Trump ever passed up an opportunity to talk to the press. Every time he'd walk out to the helicopter, he, he would sometimes be there for an hour or more talking to them, answering questions. He was doing it on his own terms, but yeah. he was constantly communicating to the press. You know, he, he would not shut up. And now you have no. Biden who basically ran a, an entire presidential campaign for the most powerful country in the world from his basement. Mm-hmm. And, and we knew what we were going to get, right? Because that's exactly what he's doing now. He almost never comes back. And and is the is the press complaining? No, not really. They they might ask, well, gee, you know, could we pretty please get a little more access now and then, if you don't mind? You know, they're 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 really kind about it, but they're really not pushing like they did with Trump. But I, you know, I don't want to get down that rabbit hole too far. There's actually there was another lie that he came out with uh, about lawsuits. And, we, and we've been hearing a lot about this recently, talking about the uh, the firearms industry and, you know, how big it is, this, you know, billion-dollar industry. And they can't be sued. They're totally exempt from being sued, right. which which is a complete and utter lie. I mean, that's even worse than the other lie. What he's referring to is this, uh, what it's called, the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. 
mm-hmm. and it was passed in 2005 with bipartisan support, by the way, because the right. firearm industry is not that big. People think it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, like as big as the computer industry or something like that, this massive thing. It's not, it's actually a really small industry. And, and that's why you have, you know, when, when one company isn't manufacturing ammo that you have an ammo shortage or, you know, something happens to Smith and Wesson that affects the entire industry. That's a really small industry. And it was passed in 2005, it was called the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. It was to protect them from frivolous and politically motivated lawsuits. Now, that that was not conspiracy theory stuff, because if we can remember back to the 1990s, Rob, I have trouble remembering the beginning of this week, okay? <laughs> but in the mid-1990s, gun control advocates, big city politicians, trial attorneys, all these guys, they teamed up, and... Their tactic was to use the courts to try to bleed the gun industry for millions of dollars, basically sue them out of existence just in the attorney fees. And they, they couldn't get what they wanted passed in Congress, so they thought, well, we're going to do it through the courts. Right. Well, that, that's, that's a really aggressive tactic. So, you know, this law was passed, the Protection and Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, to protect against frivolous lawsuits. You can still right. sue fire manufacturers if, if, you know, if I buy a gun and it doesn't have the proper uh, safety mechanisms in it, and every time I drop it, it goes off, you know, it's, it's, it has a manufacturing flaw, you can sue for something like that. If they know, for example, if there's a breach of their warranty or if a manufacturer or a dealer sells a gun and they know it's going to be used in a crime, you can sue them for that. You can sue them for everything that you can sue every other uh, manufacturer or company for, just not in a frivolous way or in a political way. Yeah, so let's go back to what we said earlier about, you know, President Biden and the, and the many lies that he parrots, right? So he he mentioned this law as he wanted it repealed because you can't sue the gun manufacturers. And, and it's a bold-faced lie. You know, if they're making a defective product, then they're vulnerable to litigation. But the president and other people like him have said, you know, you can sue auto manufacturers. And they, they reference, you know, the, the pinot with the gas tank. And that's true. You can sue Ford Motor Company over a defective pinot. But, you, but you're not going to be able to sue Ford Motor Company if a deranged lunatic uses an F-150 and runs down a bunch of bystanders. And that is what the anti-gun lobby and, 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 and uh, anti-gun politicians want to do with litigation. And that, and that law you're talking about, the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, is the wall that prevents it from happening. You know, short of preemption, it might be the most important gun law that protects people on the books, because if this law is gone, I just, I don't know how the gun industry will survive the waterfall of lawsuits. I mean, you think about all the activist mayors, activist governors that we've got around this country. I think that, I, gosh, I think you'd have 50 lawsuits inside of two years. Well, and what a lot of people don't remember uh, or don't even think about is the same industry that serves civilians and manufactures you know, all those guns that they hate. That's the, the in, industry that serves the military and serves law enforcement. When, when you have an ammo shortage, it affects Everybody, mm-hmm. when you have a problem in, in the industry uh, of any kind, it affects everybody. So, and, I, and we've seen laws passed, magazine bans, for example. You can't have more than, uh, you know, seven rounds or more than eight rounds. And then later on, 
a police will say, um, uh, you know, we've got guns that have 15 rounds, you know, 19 rounds. Oops. You know, you just banned our magazine. So then they have to do amendments and change it. You know, they, it's all political. They, they don't gather their facts. They don't know what they're talking about. And again, it's a really, really small industry. And if you're, if you're just trying to do a gotcha kind of thing, and get at the at the gun guys that you don't like. You're, you're going to get all the other people as well. The military, the police, everyone else that that industry serves. So unfortunately, they're just out there lying, and they're they're not even trying to hide it anymore. No, no. And I mean, anybody with you know even a, a thumbnail version of reading what the law says understands that you can sue a gun manufacturer for a poorly functioning product. But but charging a gun manufacturer with a lawsuit because a madman uses their product in a commission of a crime? I mean, what's next? You know, you're going to sue Budweiser when somebody breaks a beer bottle and cuts somebody with it. Uh, I, I, you know, you're going to you're going to ban the steak knife manufacturer if somebody's you know if uh, someone stabs someone using their product. It, it, it's a terrible precedent. But I don't think people really understand. I think you're right that. People think the gun industry is this huge monolith. And the fact is, you open up the door for these lawsuits, and I think you know you'd see bankruptcies come quick, and uh, and and I think access to firearms would be uh, more difficult, and the cost of firearms would, would increase substantially. Well, you know, Rob, it just occurs to me that my here's my guess: the same thing would happen with the firearms industry, and I hate to conflate these two things. But I think the same thing would happen in the firearms industry that happens with uh, gangs. One of the reasons in cities like Chicago, for example, that you have all this bloodshed is that at one point they were taking out the leaders of these big, you know, narco gangs. They, you know, you take out the leader and then what happens? You know, all these underbosses then fight for territory all over the city. So it becomes, instead of having one big problem, you have a million little problems. So, you know, they sue these big gun manufacturers like Smith & Wesson or Ruger. And the guns are still going to be manufactured. But you're just going to have little mom and pops spring up every place. Yeah. And it'll be even harder for them to regulate. And then they'll be crying in their in their soup about that because, you know, well, we have manufacturers everywhere. Well, yeah, because you destroyed the big manufacturers that were trying to do everything the right way. And you created this chaos all around the country. That would absolutely happen. Guns would not go away. They would just come to the market in a completely different way. And you would have a lot of people who were not then trying to follow the laws like they're doing right now. Right. I, I agree. It's a terrible idea. One of many terrible ideas that are coming out of the, unfortunately, the Democratic Congress and the president right now, you know, when it comes to guns. I mean, if it's not universal background checks and gun shows like we talked about, then it's this, the repeal of the protection of lawful commerce and arms. I don't know if you saw this, but Colorado, which for, for whatever reason seems to be the epicenter of the shooting incidents, they're, they're trying to figure out what more gun control they can do. So the, the, the crazy people who have committed the shootings in Colorado have ignored every gun control law they've passed as a result of the past incidents. So their solution is they're going to do even more gun control because, you know, one day the guy's going to wake up and say, you know, I was about to go into a movie theater and shoot people, but I found out I could not have a suppressor, that's going to do it. I won't go because they ban suppressors, you know, and, and I think 
when it comes to the extreme left wing, their solution is just always more law. More law will solve the problem. Criminals at, at, at some point will wake up and decide that's the law they're going to obey that day. Well, you know, most of the people elected are lawyers, or a lot of them at least. That That's the tool they have. You know, what's the saying? If the only tool you have is a hammer, you see every problem as a nail. So mm-hmm. they, they look at all of these things as legislative problems. You solve everything by passing a law. Well, let's face it. You know, I mean, politicians want to appear like they're solving problems. You know, that there's something must be done, right? So in Colorado, they're going to pass another gun control law because the, the gun control folks are in control of their legislature right now. But as we've seen from, you know, Chicago and Washington, D.C. and Baltimore and New York, gun laws are not the solution to gun crime. Well, it's, it's almost never the solution. But in talking about bad ideas, Rahm Emanuel, uh, not a person that, that we talk about much. He's been out of the news for a while, but he was on ABC's This Week recently. Same and for, for, for whatever reason, yeah, he was uh, proposing some really odd gun control ideas. Now, for those of you who forget Rahm Emanuel, you know, he was the mayor of Chicago one of the most corrupt cities in the country. He served in the Clinton administration. He was uh, President Obama's uh, White House chief of staff and and just generally considered a a pretty smarmy kind of guy. But he was uh, on this show and he was talking about that he wanted people who had a domestic violence record to be prohibited from buying firearms. And so you're, you know, scratching your head, um, you know, Rom, that's, that's already illegal. Right. Uh, you know, he was the mayor of that city of Chicago, did not know that that was illegal. You're banned from possessing or even receiving a firearm. And that's been the case um, since 1968. And they even updated that in 1996. That that's just, it's called it, you know, a DV. You've got a DV on your record and you can't own firearms. Right. Right. Well, I'm not surprised. I mean, so many of the opponents of the Second Amendment really just don't have any clue about firearms, about firearms law, about the way any of that stuff functions, right? And so they they parrot things that just seem like a good talking point. That domestic violence thing, that's been on the books for golly, what, at least 25 years. That's the last well, for, I mean, it was a, it was it was part of the federal law passed in 1968. Yeah. Um, yeah. and and then and he was, you know, pushing assault weapons bans. He was, you know, claiming that that was so effective and it was not even Clinton administration official officials issued a report later saying there was no discernible effect from that whatsoever. It'd been, you know, 10 years, they couldn't find any effect. And then the other weird thing that he wanted, he wanted the enactment of a no fly, no buy law. So if you're on this so-called secret government, no fly watch list, you, you can't buy a firearm. Now, now what's scary about that is that this list, even the people who maintain the list, will tell you, you know, this is not a list of people who have been prosecuted for anything. It's not even people we know have done anything wrong. It's just sort of speculative. We just cobble it together. We throw people on there. And we've seen, you know, politicians. What wasn't Ted Kennedy on that list at one point? Entertainers. They've, they've had kids, children. You get on that list just because their names sound like somebody else's names, and you get on the list, it's it's really difficult to get off, and you know it's just it's uh, it's not intended 
to be a list of criminals. It, it's no. just, it, it, there's no due process whatsoever. So, you know, we're talking about how scary this kind of thing is. It, it's always been the case. Gun banners, those who are enthusiastic about gun control know so little about guns and gun law. And, I, and I'm not trying to insult the, the Amish here, Rob. Asking gun control people to tell us what the gun laws should be is like asking the Amish to regulate the electric industry. I mean, <laughs> you know, let's be real. If you, you've, you've got to know something about it. I remember there was, uh, and I, I won't say this, this person's name, but uh, this person was down at the state house some years ago giving a slideshow, talking to legislators, and uh, clearly didn't had no idea of, of the subject matter. One of the legislators asked, you know, a question, and this person just paused and shrugged and said, well, I, I don't really have an answer to that. I really don't know that much about guns. And, and this person was down there lecturing on, here's what the laws should be on firearms, and just admitted, I don't know that much about guns. You know, I, I think most gun control advocates don't know a whole lot about guns. Certainly, I've run into a lot of gun control, pro-gun control legislators who don't know a lot about guns. And the back and forth is just surreal, right? So I, I want to ban semi-automatic, high-powered rifles like the AR-15. And I'll say, well... I don't know if you know this or not, but that caliber is not necessarily considered to be all that high power of a caliber. Well, it was intended to kill people. So, well, really, it's a varmint rifle caliber is what it's known for. Well, yeah, but there's something particular about this gun. I'm not sure what it is. It doesn't shoot any faster. It doesn't. The rounds don't fly any faster coming out of that gun than they do a, a similar hunting model of the same caliber. And the bottom line is you get to the end of that discussion and you haven't convinced them. They just don't know what, le- what else to say. They just want it banned. Well, and, and, and they don't, but this is, this is actually an interesting human characteristic is the less you know about something, the more certain you are about what yeah. you think about it. Yeah. Uh, it, it's an actual psychological phenomenon that, that has been studied that, that, you know, when you don't know a lot, you don't know what you don't know. And right. therefore, you feel really smart. That's why, and I'm now I'm going to, I'm insulting people. Now, you know, I'm going to insult kids. This is why kids are so stupid. Because, <laughs> because they're so young, you know, the, the, the phrase young and dumb. It's because, you know, when you're 12 years old, 13 years old, 15 years old, whatever, and you think you know everything, you're so much smarter than adults. It's because you don't know anything yet. Right. You don't know what you don't know. But at least they have an excuse. Well, and the, and the, the, the opinions are very firm. Yes. You know, uh, the, the less you know, very often the more firm you are in your opinion. You know, it's like people who know nothing about science, but they know for sure this or that, you know, that some story that they've seen in the news, you know, that's completely bogus. Well, how do you know? And then I'll tell them, well, you know, actually, I, I have a degree in science. I can explain it to you. Then their eyes glaze over and they look afraid. They, they don't want to hear it. Sometimes you get a response like, well, you know, you've got all these facts and figures, but I know what I know. In other words, please don't 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 bring facts up yeah. in a debate about guns, because the bottom line is they want to ban firearms and they're all charged up. The media's got them all fired up on so-called assault weapons. And so that, you know, that's where they're heading. I mean, Dean, look at it. How many times has a gun bill passed the, the state at the state house? To have the same old character say every single time it's going to be the OK Corral. So when have we had the OK Corral? 
I mean, what was it, 2004? Was that when concealed carry? Yeah, 2004, 2005. And they were literally, literally saying that we were going to have shootouts, that, you know, uh, road rage incidents were going to end in bloodshed. Yep. So 17 years later, you know, we're still waiting for the OK Corral. I certainly don't want the OK Corral. But no one ever comes back to those same people and, and says to them, other than us, obviously, hey, you got that wrong. Do you, do you think you had it wrong now when you look back at it? Uh, yeah, there's, no, there's no self-examination. It's all part of the same script. And uh, it's really unfortunate. That it, people always say, well, how, why do politics have to get so polarizing? Well, we're dealing with an enemy, you know, for being honest. They, they don't want to ban assault weapons. They just want that to be step one. They don't want to ban high cap magazines. That's just step two. You know, the universal background check, that's just step three. This thing is, if we're, you know, if you're really getting down to it, they're just trying to get their foot in the door and they think that's the sexiest sell. And, and that's what makes it really dangerous because they're not burdened by the facts. No one holds them accountable for the fact that all of their rhetoric is, is, is either lies or outright nonsense. Well, Rob, this is, this is what I call the... The icky factor. I think a lot of the gun control enthusiasts just think guns are icky. They, they just yeah. don't like them. They're icky and the people who own them are icky. And that's, that's all it takes. The, the yeah. facts don't matter because they just don't, they just don't like them. And all, all the uh, specific suggestions they have for gun control are just an excuse. Mm-hmm. They just want what they want, and then they look for reasons to try to justify it, and it doesn't really matter what the reasons are. The facts don't matter. They've already made the decision, and it's not about crime. It's not about the gun. It's just icky. Guns are icky, and and that's that's all it is. And that's probably a better explanation for why we have this debate than anything else. It's never about the crime or the guns or anything else. It's, it's just uh, icky guns, Rob. Well, probably the biggest transformation in the extreme left that's blown me away. You know, when we were kids, left-wingers were all about, you know, uh, people need due process. People ought to be able to say what they want. People ought to be able to believe what they want. You know, I, I don't buy what you're saying, but I would die for your right to say it, right? And now you've got this no-fly, no-buy concept without one ounce of due process in there. And yet the, the you know, the, the left wing doesn't defend that anymore. You know, you don't hear the, the folks on the left coming out and say, oh, that's a terrible idea because there's no due process. You know, I don't know if you've seen this, but in, in the wake of the January 6th incident at the U.S. Capitol building, the prosecutors are finding it hard to make a conspiracy charge against a lot of these people because, you know, they, they claim that they were going to create this, giant prosecution of all these conspirators. We actually have to prove that stuff. And, and right now you're seeing the folks, you know, that, that uh, were on the left, they just want to nail to the wall. They don't care if they can establish the conspiracy. And I think a lot of folks listening might say, hey, look, I don't care about those folks from January 6th. They did what they did. But the truth is we always ought to care if due process is being thrown away because that stuff really matters. And I think it really matters when we're talking about gun crimes. If you're on a no-fly list, you know, nobody wants to be the guy that takes someone off of that list who then later on does something. If you get put on that list, it's deliberately going to be difficult to get off of that list. 
So flippantly allowing that to be used to determine whether or not you can buy a gun is just a terrible idea. Well, I want to I want to move on here because there's actually um, something that I saw in the news recently here in Ohio. I'm not sure if you saw this, Rob, but it was uh, a bunch of gubernatorial candidates because you know the the uh, next election started like five minutes after the last election, right. and you have some Democrats who would like to be a governor, and they form some kind of a coalition or a consortium, and it's all aimed at producing these uh, so-called smart guns that pop up in the news every now and then. And, so, and there's a bunch of uh, mayors. I know there's Nan Whaley out of, of Dayton, uh, you know, one of our favorite mayors in all of Ohio. Uh, then there's John Cranley out of Cincinnati. But, you know, you got mayors in Orange Village, Columbus, Toledo, you know, all of these mayors. And so they're pushing smart guns. Now they claim it's not about legislation, but we know it is because it always comes down to that and and they're pushing smart guns and smart guns are one of those things that sound like a great idea because we have all of this technology. We have smartphones and smart TVs and everything else. And then, so why not have smart guns? Because the idea is you have like a watch or a key fob or something and it sends a signal to the gun and only you can fire that gun. So it's like, for example, I have a car and I never have to use the key when I put my hand on the on the door that it unlocks because I've got the key fob in my pocket and only I theoretically can can open up the car. So this is supposed to operate on the gun as well. But I can tell you that when I put my hand on the car, sometimes it goes click and it opens and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I've got to move, put my hand in another space. So so here's the scenario. You're being attacked. You're, you're thinking like in two seconds, I could be dead. At that moment, do you want to rely on technology like this stuff for your cell phone or your computer or anything else? You know, everybody raise your hand if you've ever had a problem with your computer. Do you ever have a problem with your computer? <laughs> do you ever have a problem with your cell phone or with cell technology, have you ever had a cell phone signal drop? We have problems with technology all the time. Rob, you know, we were, before this podcast, we were setting this up and I couldn't figure out why I couldn't hear your microphone, right? I just, there was a setting wrong. This is why it's not that smart guns can't work. It's not that anyone has a problem with them being manufactured or purchased. I don't care what people buy, but forcing people to use only smart guns, and, and that's where this is headed, that's a really bad idea because you don't want your life to depend on technology that you know for a fact breaks down all the time. Well, gosh, you know, people today are carrying smartphones probably on average worth about $1,000 a pop. That's an expensive phone. My, my iPhone now has facial recognition, and I would say one-third of the time it doesn't recognize me. The previous model of iPhone I had had a thumbprint recognition. And about a third of the time, it wouldn't recognize my thumbprint. And then every now and then I go to get into an app and the face recognition shuts off. And you have to key back in the password in order to get access to your bank account or whatever else we're putting on smartphones today. And you raise the major point. So, you know, I pick up my smart gun and I squeeze the, you know, the grip safety and it's supposed to process my fingerprints or however that would work and allow me to fire the gun. And then on that day, it decides that I'm not, you know, I'm not who I'm supposed to be. And then you're just dead. 
Well, it doesn't or, take into, if you've, if you've taken any training at all, I mean, serious training, what, what's on your hand? If you're, if you're in a fight, if someone's, you know, stabbing you, beating you up or, you know, whatever, is there sweat on your hand? Is there blood yeah. on your hand? All kinds of things can go wrong. Yeah. You know, I'm, I have an iPhone too, and I'm fine with it. And the, the times that there are glitches, it's no big deal. Cause I, you know, I'm checking my email. Who cares if it takes me a few extra seconds, but when you have a gun and you're defending your life, a few extra seconds is the difference between life and death. I'm not sure how the smart, so-called smart gun is going to handle a family situation, right? So, you know, we have, we have firearms in the house that are here for self-defense. So what if it's, you know, what if it's my wife grabbing my gun? I suppose someone would say, well, you can have a gun that recognizes more than one person. Well, you know what? I've got grown kids that are staying with us right now. So what if they need to access one of my firearms for to protect us, right? So there's just too many opportunities for that kind of technology to fail for me to put it in my hand, you know, my life in that, in those hands. And I would say this, if you're comfortable buying a gun like that, if that's what you want and that kind of technology is available, then go for it. But the, but you hit it right on the head. Once this type of firearm is widely available, then, then, then it'll start with, you know, cities are going to require, if you're going to have a handgun permit in Chicago, then you're going to have to have a smart gun. You know, that'd be the only one they're going to let you have. That's where this is leading. Well, and then they'll require police uh, to carry these guns. You'll see cities say that, you know, you, you can buy whatever you, gun you want as long as it's a smart gun because they, you know, they're, they're going to start there and then it will filter down to civilians. So we know it's, they're saying it's not about legislation, but eventually it will be. Yeah, absolutely. And, so, you know, it talk, the, the, the black market's another aspect of this, right? So you hear a lot of people say smart guns are great. Because stolen, you know, stolen smart gun can't be used by whoever steals the gun. But, you know, we're talking about iPhones. Gosh, there's whole industries of people who know how to hack a smartphone once it's been stolen. Do we really think that the black market of firearms is, is going to be limited by smart? Oh, can't use that one. It's a smart gun. I, uh, I don't see it happening. I, I don't think it's going to provide that kind of protection. So, Rob, I want to move on to... Uh this ATF story. Now this thing has really taken off. We published a piece on our website about a leaked rule that was coming out of the ATF. And we, I mean, this thing just took off like a rocket. There were well over a hundred thousand people who read this article and it was about the ATF. They had, uh, supposedly there was, there was an, uh, a rule that got leaked and it was about redefining what is or is not a firearm. Right. So we we have confirmed that that rule, proposed rule was real. We weren't absolutely certain that that was legitimate. It has been posted on the ATF website. So I've looked at it. There, there does seem to be a problem with commenting on it right now. That's why they post it. Part of the rulemaking process for the ATF and other agencies is they have to post it for the public to make comments. And so right now when you click to comment, Online, at least, there are other ways that, that you can comment, but the online part doesn't seem to be working at the moment. And that may have something to do with the fact that, you know, if it's not officially in the federal registry yet, then, you know, you, their, their little online comment thing doesn't work. Uh, we'll try to keep people informed about that. But I just wanted to confirm for everybody, because this, this is a huge story, what they're trying to do in effect is that they're doing an end run around Congress on legislation, and, and they're saying that they're going to redefine what a frame or a receiver is, which sounds really technical, but what that, what that means is 
you know, what, what a firearm is depends on which part of the firearm you call a firearm and what parts have to have serial numbers and other markings on them. So if they suddenly change that, every manufacturer, every seller, everybody's going to have to change everything. You're talking about really, really expensive equipment that's going to have to be retooled. No one's going to know what, what you can manufacture and what you can't. And it puts the ATF in complete charge of that and the ATF director, essentially one person, a politically appointed person, would have an incredible amount of power over the entire firearms industry. And it's worth noting that President Biden has nominated David Chipman to head the ATF, and he is a big-time anti-gun lobbyist. So, I mean, basically, we're going to have an anti-gun guy in charge of the ATF, which is in charge of defining what is or is not a gun. And basically, this whole thing boils down to, well, we, we'll, we'll know it when we see it. So when you manufacture a gun or come up with a new concept for a gun, you're going to have to go to the ATF and say, you know, please, can you can you approve this? You, they're going to have to approve every new design. Yeah, it's, it's just more government power is what it gets down to, right? You're going to have to ask the government to define it for you. And in and, and, and this particular branch of government being run by a guy, th this fellow used to be associated with the Giffords gun organization, right? That is named after the congresswoman who uh, who was shot out in Arizona. I mean, this, that he might as well have hired Mike Bloomberg's secretary to run ATF. Yeah, that's just really bad news. And, and we'll update everybody when we find out more about that, and especially when the comments do seem to be up and running. Uh, you can read the article on our website. We'll get a story up on that really quick on, on how to comment but we're, we've been sort of on pause because, again, that online comment tool doesn't seem to be working on the ATF website right now. Well, Rob, the final thing I just want to bring up, uh, we've been reporting on this too, is the U.S. Supreme Court has finally decided to hear a case. And this is about the Second Amendment, of course. And it's on the New York's requirement that uh, when you're getting concealed carry license, you have to demonstrate proper cause. In other words, it's not just enough to apply like here in Ohio. You have to tell them, here's why I want the license. And they have to say, yeah, we agree with you that you need to carry a firearm. And this right. is really just their way of denying people licenses to carry because they don't want you to carry. So, you know, this, this is finally going to the Supreme Court. It's going to be basically the third, depending on how you count them, the third or fourth case in modern times. And it's going to decide, do you have an individual right to carry a firearm outside of your home? Yeah, huge. It, it, it's just a huge case. And, um, you know, if there's a lasting part of former President Trump's legacy, this is, this is the case that is going to show whether or not that legacy uh, is really going to mean something. Uh, I mean, you know, a Amy Coney Barrett, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, they're going to be front and center in this decision, especially when it feels like Chief Justice Roberts has, you know, too often sided with the other side of the court. So we'll really find out what that court's made of on, on this case. I mean, it seems to us like a slam dunk because, you know, it's the right to keep and bear arms, not just the right to keep arms. That, that part of it seems pretty clear, but you never know. But right now is probably the best time that a case like this can come up. And I really think that they waited until they had a firm conservative majority on the court to decide right. this. Because before 
Everyone was a little nervous that a case is going to go there and then there's going to be a bad decision and that's going to affect everything. And, and you got to keep in mind, unlike topics like the First Amendment, like free speech or freedom of religion, there's a lot of case law on that. You got to develop case law to really figure out what the laws say and what we all agree that they mean. But on the Second Amendment, we don't have that. We essentially have, in modern times, two primary cases. And that was the Heller case and the McDonald case. Buckeye Firearms Association was involved in both of those. We, we submitted amicus briefs or amicus briefs. I never know how to pronounce that. Everyone says it differently. We, we submitted briefs in both cases. And we're considering, haven't made a decision, we're considering whether to get involved in this case or not. I hope we do. I think this could really be a landmark case because essentially we'll take the decision that, yes, it is about an individual right. Yes, you have a right to have a firearm in your home, and then it would take it to everywhere else where you can be. Well, I think it's an absolutely pivotal case, far, really farther reaching than Heller, you know, the, the implications of this case, right? Because the idea you can have a gun in your own home compared to actually everywhere you go in life, that's a pretty major distinction. And we talk about, again, the makeup of the court. You know, I think there were folks questioning why President Trump and why Senator McConnell, you know, expedited the hearings on Justice Barrett, Justice Coney Barrett, uh, to get her confirmed. And it's exactly for a case like this, why it was so important to have her on there. I'm not saying John Roberts would for sure go against us. I don't know that. But too often he's wound up on the other side. And so having that extra vote, I think, was critical. And I think you're right. I think uh, folks on our side waited for the right time and it's not going to get any better than this, I wouldn't think, on the court. This is the right time to have that uh, case before this this particular Supreme Court. And uh, we, we probably should talk about this sometime, this idea. You know, a lot of people think, well, you pass the law and that's it. Well, no, actually, you pass the law and that's just the start. Because with a lot of laws, especially controversial laws, you then have to go to the courts. You have to force people to obey the laws. We've, do we've done that in the case of a concealed carry. We, have to, we had to sue sheriffs to get them to abide by the concealed carry rules here in Ohio, for example, we've, we've sued cities. We, we sued Columbus, we sued Cincinnati. We've won those cases, you know, over bump stocks and trigger activators where they just decided they weren't going to follow the law. Right. So right. passing law is step one. Step two is then making sure that those laws are enforced or making sure that everyone understands what the law is. You know, the second amendment is part of the constitution that is foundational law. But what does that mean in, in, in real terms? It, you can say it, and we all think we know what that means, but you have to have the case law to spell it out. And these cases are very, very finely tuned. You don't have a case that just says, well, keep and bear arms, that's it, shut up. It really is a pinpoint on, on, the, on what you mean in a particular case. So you need case after case after case after case to flesh these out. And this is only going to be really the third or fourth case in modern times. So yeah. we need a lot more of these cases to, to figure this out and firmly establish the right to keep and bear arms. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm, I'm anxious to see what the court does with this. And, and very glad to see it before this court. And, and, you know, courts can get stuff so terribly wrong that they can undermine a law that we've passed. You know, so you look at this Madison Schools case here in Ohio where the legislature passed a law that allowed a school district 
to enact a safety plan that would allow their staff to go armed to protect their students. It is, it's about as clearly written a law as I think I've seen. And yet the, uh, the, the uh, District Court of Appeals down by Cincinnati ruled that in order to do that, you'd have to have the same training as a police officer, fully trained as a police officer. And that was just a case of either judicial stupidity or just judicial overreach and activist ruling. And now, you know, of course, we're going back and trying to fix the law or hope that the Ohio Supreme Court gets it right. But I don't think everybody appreciates sometimes just how powerful a court ruling can be. And if we get a good ruling on this, think back to how powerful the Heller ruling was, you know, to have an idea of what this ruling could mean for the Second Amendment. Yeah, for before Heller, everyone was saying, well, the Second Amendment is different. That's a collective right. It's not an individual right. And the court said, uh, no, it's, it's obviously an individual right. And there, there was some really interesting stuff that came out of that that people should read, and, and maybe we'll do a podcast on that someday. Well, Rob, thanks for coming back to the podcast. Hope to have you back again soon. I look forward to it, Dean. Thanks a lot. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at BuckeyeFirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to JoinBFA.org. Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's JoinBFA.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.